Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we're talking to Sujata Massey, the author of The Sad of Her Moonstone, which is out now from Soho Crime. You can find a complete transcript of this episode, as well as a list of all the books we mentioned today in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I am so excited we finally got to talk to Sujata Massey about Pervine Mystery. When I first read The Widows of Malabar Hill, I absolutely loved Pervine, and I really wanted to know more about her story. And so I was so excited to read The Satipur Moonstone. Yes, I've been waiting for this one to come out. I pre-ordered it, got in line at my library for the audiobook, all of the things for this book. So excited to talk to her today. So Sujata Massey is the author of 14 novels, two novellas, and numerous short stories that have been published in 18 countries. And she has won a wide range of awards, and she writes mystery and suspense fiction that's set in pre-independence India, as well as a modern mystery series set in Japan. So she has written all of the things. And I think that skill and that experience definitely shows in her Praveen mystery series. Oh, definitely. Like the world that she builds is just so immersive. And that's why, because this is a mystery book, we didn't talk too much about the plot because we wanted to make sure that we didn't give away any spoilers or even remotely any spoilers. So we talked to her a lot about her process and like how she comes up with her ideas and how she builds these just incredible worlds. And oh man, we both were nerding out the entire time. Yes. And we were actually just trying to keep it cool, and we still nerded out, so that just goes to show you. So without further gushing, uh, here's our interview with Sujata Massey, the author of The Satipur Moonstone. Uh, Well, welcome, Sujata, to the podcast. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you so much, Autumn and Kendra. I'm really happy to be here. And we are talking today about your Pervine Mystery series, and I just finished the second book, like, literally, like, two days ago, and I loved it so much, so I'm, like, really excited to get to talk about it. Oh, I'm so happy that you enjoyed it. It's really challenging to write a second book after a first one, so, um, you know, because usually everybody gets very excited about the first one and measures everything against it, so I'm, I'm happy that you liked it. I'm a huge Pervine mystery fan. I've been talking about this for so long, and I was so excited when the second one came out, and I loved it even more than the first one. So I just am totally obsessed. So like I said before we started recording, I'll try to keep the fangirling to a minimum <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't gush into everyone's um, earpieces. But for listeners who aren't very familiar with the Pervine mystery series yet, uh, could you describe it for them? Yeah, this is a series, it's a mystery series set in 1921 Bombay, and it features the city's first woman lawyer, and her name is Praveen Mystery, and she practices with her father, and she has just come back from an education at Oxford. And she's in an interesting situation because at that time, women couldn't get a full-fledged degree from Oxford, but they could study there, which meant that they could not Um, they were not accepted by the bar associations. So you could study a law course and you could work as a solicitor doing everything that a lawyer does except 
for arguing cases in court. And I thought that would be an interesting position to put Praveen in. Definitely. And yeah, it was so fascinating to read in the first book in the series, which is The Widows of Malabar Hill, just kind of like the, the history that you just outlined. And then also in the Satapur Moonstone, which is this book that just came out, we get to see her practicing law. So it was, I was so excited to like finally get to see her like kind of come into her own more like as a lawyer. But you've mentioned in other interviews that Praveen is based off of a real historical figure. Could you talk a little bit about who that historical figure was and why you decided to write about her? Sure. Well, there were actually two women lawyers in India who practiced between the 1890s and into the 1930s. And the first one, who's really well known as Cornelia Sarabji, who never married, and she had this fascinating career where she represented all kinds of women and children all over India and traveled to find them. A lot of them lived in seclusion. So I was very inspired to learn about the kind of work an early woman lawyer might do studying Cornelia's memoirs and her letters. And I want to make it clear that it's not that Perveen is Cornelia. Um, There are some things that are really different about the two of them. But, you know, one of the things that's very different is the, the first woman lawyer, Cornelia, supported British rule. And my Perveen is interested um, in freedom, you know, freedom from British rule. So that's a really huge difference between the two of them. I did look at the way these women lawyers worked and the challenges they had and the fact that really it, it was very hard to practice unless you had somebody in your family who was willing to work with you. And that's the situation for my lawyer in my book that she works with her father. And you mentioned that Cornelia represented a lot of women and children in her practice. Are parts of the books that you've written so far based on any of Cornelia's real cases? I wouldn't say real cases. I do know that she visited with women in seclusion and tried to find out what was going on and in many times prevented those women from being harmed or losing their fortunes. So I, you know, that was, I started with that idea, but what got me really interested in crafting the exact plot for the widows of Malabar Hill, which is a mystery about three widows married to the same man who passed away, who are in danger of of losing their fortune, their children, and a lot more. I learned a lot about Though that situation by reading a history of law during that time and understanding that women's rights were different depending on what religion they were. I was very interested in that, and I realized that certain religions had advantages with financials and certain ones had advantages with freedom to leave a marriage. And all that is, you know, taken from books on law. That was a really big inspiration for um, that exact plot that I have, including what I when I talk a little bit about um, the issue of domestic violence. That is absolutely fascinating. And I could probably nerd out and ask you all about these different laws, but I will spare our listeners because there's plenty of detail in the two books. And I think when you're introduced to Praveen, those roles, without giving any spoilers, play a huge part of the law 
around uh, a lot of the plot in the first book. So you mentioned that you read a book about the different laws based on the different religions. What other research did you do uh, when you were preparing to write the Purview Mystery series? Well, I traveled to um, India. I stayed in Bombay and I made an effort to go through this old neighborhood called Fort, which is where the um, high court is. The University of Bombay is there. All kinds of buildings that I've mentioned in the book. You know, and also I was in Kalaba, which is where the Taj Mahal Palace Hotel is. And I often did it walking with another woman. And I was fortunate enough to spend time with several Parsi women. So I got a look also into their home life. You know, one of them was a Parsi woman lawyer, which was really extraordinary, um, really nice coincidence. And then I also um, spent some time touring around with a retired woman professor from the University of Mumbai, who is a Muslim. So I was able to talk to her a lot about the customs for women and what she remembered the, you know, grandmothers in her family doing. And so those were, you know, really fun ways to research. I even got to eat inside the Parsi cafes. I mentioned a cafe called Yazdani's and it actually exists for anyone who goes to India goes to Mumbai. That is really fascinating. And I, it makes sense that you went there and to do your research because in both books, as I was reading, I just felt so immersed in the surroundings and what was going on. And that immersive experience was just, oh my goodness, it's so much fun. And I really enjoyed it. The mystery aspect of the book of both your, the books in the series, I, I love because I love mystery novels and I they're one of my favorite genres. But what made you decide to tell Praveen's story as, as a mystery versus like a historical novel or another kind of format? Well, I come out of a background of having written both mystery fiction and straight historical literary fiction. And I was never 100% satisfied with either of those fields. And so I wanted, I just wanted to unite them. One of the things that was great about being a mystery novelist is you could kind of keep track of your story. You know, there's not a lot of room for excess baggage in a mystery novel. And you really have to end each chapter in a way that people will want to keep on reading. So you can develop some good chops as a mystery writer. And then the other thing that's great about mystery is the whole world of mystery bookstores, which are great places to go for signings. And they have devoted clientele and really, really nice booksellers. So I love that aspect of mystery, of, of fiction was that mystery world. But I wasn't telling quite the stories I wanted to tell. So I tried. I thought that just writing a straight historical novel would be the, the way that my career should go. And I tried that. I did that in 2013. I had a novel come out called The Sleeping Dictionary, which is a book I really value and I loved writing it. It was very hard to get the same kind of audience and reviews that I did when I wrote mysteries. 
And so I was like, this light bulb was coming on telling me that, you know, if, if you want to be read, if you want to have, you know, that wonderful experience of being in a bookstore, if you want to have a few reviews for your book, you're more likely to do it as a mystery novelist. But so I, so I wanted to still write historical. So I combined the two and I really feel like it's, it's what I was meant to do all along. I wouldn't have known that in the beginning. I sort of had to try these two different genres before I decided to do, to, to do the genre, which combined them both. And I think that you really captured that essence of both a mystery and a historical novel in the same book. And when we actually picked this as one of our like Patreon book club books and, you know, they voted on it and that's what they picked. And it was a resounding positive response because they all loved Praveen and what she was representing and that she was basically the hero that we all wanted. <laughs> she was this amazing figure that was still respectful of her custom and her religion and the religion of others, but also was just solving crime. I mean, who doesn't who doesn't want a protagonist like that? So I think you definitely tapped into something there with the mystery genre in that it also keeps the reader turning the pages. And there's an accessibility there for the message of feminism in that time period that's just beautiful. Did you did you have any difficulty merging the two, merging the two genres? Oh, no, no. It actually, it was pretty, it felt pretty natural. And I think it's because I... I love to read historical fiction, and I had done the experience of this really big historical novel, the one that came out in 2013, The Sleeping Dictionary, which is a little bit longer than 400 pages. It's a really long book. So in the process of writing that book, which took you know four years to write, and it, it took almost two years to sell it, I did so much research. So I already had a, a lot of comfort with that time period and knowing what women could do. I first came across mention of Cornelia Sarabji, India's first woman lawyer, in uh, probably 2006, when I was just doing research on strong women in India. I wanted to know, you know, who was the first member of parliament? Who was the first woman doctor? Who was the first photographer? You know, I, I just wanted to have in my mind an idea of what things women had accomplished. So I wasn't going to go too, too out of line in my book. So I have a folder just of interesting Indian women. So she'd been in there a long time. And when I decided to write a historical mystery series, I knew I needed to have a woman character who was not going to be an amateur, who was, you know, somebody who had a reason to get near a dead body, who had a reason that police would speak to her. Because in those days, in the 1920s, women didn't have a lot of freedom of movement. They weren't taken seriously in the courts. But because I knew that there were these women lawyers working in a legal field, I, I knew that was the way to go. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And we love, we're huge fans of Pervy, as we've said over and over and Thank over. Thank you so much. I feel like <laughs> she's a friend, actually. It's very funny, but I feel like she is is pretty real to me. And yeah, yeah. I think about her and that, and whether she, what she would say or do. And, you know, that guides me as I keep on going. 
is, you know, having a really, really strong sense of this. She is smart. She is stylish. She loves her family. She's got this little bit of an impetuous streak Mm -hmm. where she wants to say something and sometimes it slips out. And, and also she is really seen as a powerful figure by other women who trust, Mm -hmm. come to trust her. I like that about her. And, you know, she is somebody I definitely enjoy having in my life. And we'll be back with more of our conversation with Sudata Massey after a word from our sponsor. The Satsapur Moonstone, it picks up shortly after the Widows of Malabar Hill, from what I can tell. So whereas, like, the Widows of Malabar Hill is set in Bombay, like in the city, you're in the middle of everything that's going on, the Satapur Moonstone is set in a remote village in India, which is such a different setting, and I loved both settings, but what made you decide to move Praveen's story outside of the city and into these more rural areas? Well, the fact is I had done the research on palaces (laughs) a little bit before I started writing this series. I had some different ideas about doing a novel which would have some scenes at a palace. And it was going to be the same time period. And I was going to India to do, you know, some just some different things. And I decided to visit this palace in Rajasthan with, because it, it had the guest wing in the palace was now a hotel. It's called the City Palace, if anybody is interested in going to Udaipur, Rajasthan. It's a wonderful place to stay. And they have, you know, preserved most of the, the palace. It's like that I talk about in the Satapur Moonstone about there being an old palace and a new palace. And that was quite typical, you know, for a royal family that they would start out with this medieval palace and then the younger generation would not find it comfortable. So they would build a new palace and they would sort of be linked or they would be, you know, there might be a um, courtyard between them. I was there and I had fallen in love with this palace and I was, I had an understanding of what it was like to be in a zanana, walking through this women's quarters, which were, you know, these walls encrusted with semi-precious stones and marble floors and gilding. And it was absolutely over the top. But because the windows were not, you know, freely open to the sun, but covered in these Um, screens that I talk about in both of the books, they're called jolly screens, I felt really closed in. And that just got me thinking about what it would be like and what a princess's life was really like. So that's how, you know, that's a long answer to your question of how I got interested in writing about a palace for that book, that I just, I didn't want to forget that palace experience. So you know, come hell or high water, I was going to send Praveen to a palace for one book. (laughs) (laughs) I was absolutely fascinated with that and how the two different palaces and the dynamic between, you know, the mother-in-law and the wife and how they both married into this family, but they had their different palaces and all of that. Or one of the most interesting things about the Praveen mystery series is that Praveen, you know, she's a Parsi woman, but in the first book, she's visiting, you know, Muslim widows who are secluded. And in the second book, she's visiting, you know, the Hindu widows. And 
their experience and the way that religion is treated in the series, just so respectful, but so broad. And while I was reading this book, we were researching for this month's theme, uh, which is the partition of India. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our contributor, Samaya, whose family is from India, she uh, and I were researching this. And so I found it very interesting reading about all the different religions in India and the religious diversity. I was just so impressed and it was just so thought-provoking the way that Praveen interacted with these different characters in the book that have the different religions. Uh, so as you were writing the books, what role did religious diversity play um, maybe as you were considering what adventures Praveen might go on and how she might interact with these different characters? Mm -hmm. I think about it a lot. Um, my father was born in India during the British period, and he grew up in India and, you know, until he, he actually left for Cambridge. So in a way, his journey is a little bit like Praveen's, although he is a Hindu, not a Parsi. And one of the things my father has told me about his childhood is how much back and forth there was between Muslim and Hindu families and that they would go to each other's homes for holidays, they would break bread together, they loved each other's sweets. I want to write about that time. I want to write about how people have been together and how they have learned from each other and enjoyed each other. And yes, there are differences and there can be suspicions, but they really did well together, especially during this period. And when you talk about how many religions there were and that there were Christians and Parsis and Jews and Sikhs also in Bombay, all contributing. You know, it was, it was a really beautiful thing. Just as I celebrate these buildings that are often now being torn down, and, you know, one of the things I love about writing historical fiction is I can preserve these places. Who knows? They, they could be gone in 10 years, but they are still alive in my books. And I want to talk about those relationships and get people to maybe trust each other again. You know, it's interesting that, you know, I talked to Vera Hiranandani for this theme and she wrote The Night Diary, which is like a fictional account of a 12-year-old having to move from what is now Pakistan to India because she's a Hindu. And she said that one of the biggest reasons that she wrote the book was to preserve that story. Her father... Uh, you know, had to move, you know, her family story, her family had to move uh, being Hindu and they had them were part of the migration. And so she said that she thought it was very important that we preserve the past so that we remember so that history doesn't repeat itself. And I feel like in a similar way that you're preserving the past of almost like a, a golden age, a, a positive way before the partition, and in that similar way, capturing the history of India uh, with the Praveen mystery series. So I find that just really beautiful in that way. I'm looking forward to reading that book that you just mentioned. I've heard a lot about it. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, and, and my books are sold in India. They're widely read in India. And right now, it's a, it's a period where there is a growing separation of religions and it's much, much stronger than even, you know, 10 years ago. So I think that, you know, this series potentially has a, a, a little bit of a role as a, a little peaceful place to go and to, you know, to, to consider 
looking at people in a light other than, you know, they're not me. Yeah, I think that's so wonderful. And, you know, even reading this series, I felt like I realized as I was reading about India in this time period, like how much I really, how little I actually really knew about the history of India, apart from, unfortunately, like the stereotyped images like we get here in the U.S. And so it actually made me want to read more about India in this time period. And like even the, uh, the, the, we haven't quite talked about it yet, but like the, the British rule in India, you know, those kinds of things, which I just really had just no idea about the detail or what was going on. Um, so I really felt like I learned a lot as I was reading too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. There's a, there's a wealth of material out there when you, you get into it. There are so many books about India. And one of the things that I thought about when I was starting to write about India, I met with a number of book clubs and they might, you know, they were reading my other series, my mystery series set in Japan And I told them I was going to write about India. And a number of people were very fearful that the book, the books would have sad endings because Mm -hmm. they believed that books set in India were, you know, uniformly about suffering and injustice. And I knew I did not want to write a book like that. I'm not talking about spoilers, you know, but, but in general, like my whole theme for this series is to present a completely different view of India than is widely known. And it's not like it's a sanitized view or a PR view, but it's a view of just so many different socioeconomic classes, so many different religions, parents who are conservative, parents who are supportive and progressive, you know, different kinds of guys. You know, all that I'm tr- I'm trying to do, just like we have in fiction set in Europe and the United States. So, I, you know, I'm really happy that I, I've been able to do that. And the books are really hopeful in tone as a whole. And in the second book in particular, I was kind of thrilled that we got this more perspective of Praveen interacting with, is he considered a British officer? What was it is his title? Yeah. Well, I I knew you were going to mention Colin (laughs) Sandringham. He is an Indian civil service officer. So that is like a government person, but it's like a prestigious government person. It's the kind of the job you would want to have there. And that's an unusual situation because she wouldn't be, you know, chit-chatting with men outside of a professional capacity you know, and Colin is a very attractive person. Uh, he's attractive. <laughs> he's nice. He's, you know, insightful and he's a little bit of a progressive. So it will be interesting to see what happens with, with Colin and Praveen as the series goes on. Yeah. And I feel like most of the British contact that we had in the first book was Praveen's best friend. And that was in a very limited uh, capacity. I don't want to give any spoilers. So I'm going to dance around that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you have they have some discussions about British rule and what that looks like. And this is at 1920, so it's about 
you know, 20 years before the partition, give or take a few years. And so you can see the stewing resentment in the political situation ongoing. And so we've actually had some people ask us about the Praveen Mystery Series as we gush about it. Is it leading up to the partition of India? What's going to happen to Praveen? I'm like, well, there are a few years yet. I don't know that I would get to partition. You know, because we're talking about 1947. This is 1921. I'm very slowly because I like keeping Perveen in this, you know, kind of this youthful state. A really big thing that we're that I'm going to have to face in the next few books is whether Perveen, you know, will return to Oxford to eventually get her degree. So she could be a barrister. You know, I have to Mm -hmm. think about whether I want to do that or not. There are some very exciting things coming up. What I usually do is I look at what's going on in history. And the big things that happened in the early 20s were the Prince of Wales, um, who later became King Edward VIII and was briefly on the throne in, in Britain before leaving to marry Mrs. Simpson. He was then the Prince of Wales he came to visit um, to visit Bombay and India, and there was a tremendous amount of unrest. And there, this whole visit has been very well documented. So I'm working with that. At the same time, Mahatma Gandhi was his movement was becoming this sweeping force, not just for the elite, but for the everyday man and woman. So that is impacting. So I I think about those political events of the 1920s as being, you know, the things that I'm concentrating on rather than taking her through um, up to partition. If anybody is is curious about what I would say about those war years, in my book, The Sleeping Dictionary, I write all about what the war was like from the perspective of India. And, you know, for this young Indian woman who does all kinds of work for the, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, it does take you through independence. Well, we will definitely link to the Sleeping Dictionary in our show notes so that way our listeners can find it if they're more interested in learning about that time period. In the second book in the series, there have been two mysterious deaths. There's a father who has died and his son who has died. And there is suspicion that the second son could potentially be murdered as well. Well, we don't know if he's been murdered or not. Like, there's a lot of suspicion and a lot of, like, (laughs) things going on. But it was such a page-turner, and I genuinely had no idea... like what was going on at all until the very last pages when it was revealed. And so one of the questions that I had around that was like, what is your process for creating that type of a page turnery catch you by surprise kind of an ending like you did in the Satipur Moonstone? You know, I wish I had a, a, a like a process because I would write my books a lot faster but a, lo- a lot of what I usually do is I start out with an outline, and usually the story is driven by wanting to write about a theme. Like I, I'd say, oh, I want to write about you know women and um, marriage laws. Like say that was what I wanted to do with with the very first book, and the second one, I wanted to write about 
the the world of royalty and how interesting it was that they were really controlled by the British government, although it looked like they were independently ruling their state. So I'll come up with ideas like that, and then I'll I'll try to find a way that Praveen could become involved, and I'll, I'll write a little outline, maybe 10 or 15 pages. And the person that I have in mind who might be the perpetrator of a crime when I'm writing that outline might change, you know, once I'm several months into the book. I think it's really um, a, a little bit of a process of discovery for me, too. And if I'm too sure about things, I think that you might guess. So I like to be unsure and put myself a little bit in Pervine's footprint. But there's so much rewriting. Usually after I turn a draft of the book in, I probably turn turn my second or third draft of the book into my editor. And then we might work on it for four or five more months doing mm-hmm. revisions while I'm also trying to write a new book. Um, <laughs> So it's a little bit, it's a little bit crazy, um, but it's, I think it's really well worth the effort to spend a lot of time like that. And, you know, sometimes I will just stop where I'm going and I'll go back and I'll look at timelines like, you know, what was really going on in November of this month in 1921? What can I use? And, you know, just reality is actually my best friend. Reality is what keeps, you know, the reality of things that happen keep me from spinning off out of control. Like uh, the book I'm working on right now, the third book in the series is set in Bombay, and I'm dealing with the Prince of Wales visit, as I hinted at, and there were these riots. And so I was telling my mystery story, and I said, well, look, set against the background of the riots. And then I, I went, I've been writing, I'm about 200 pages in. And I decided to to fact check. Now, when was it that these riots subsided? The riots actually went on for about four days. So mm-hmm. I realized, oh, Perveen can't go to her house. She's she's trapped away from her house. She's going to have to stay at the Taj Mahal Palace Hotel. You know, that's going to be very fun to write. But, you know, it's because of these riots. But there's got to be a sense of danger for many more days in my book. So, you know, it, that is almost like an editor. The, the, the history of the time is almost like having a copy editor helping me decide what my next step should be, what I should cut out, what I should put in. You've already mentioned the one book that you wrote about India. Are there any other books by Indian authors or set around this time period or any favorite authors or favorite books that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Oh, gosh, there are so many good books. There's a book out by Sonia Kamal, which came out fairly recently, which is set in Pakistan, which is it's the Indian Pride and Prejudice is the second uh, part of it. I have to look up for you what the first. Is it unmarriageable? Is that right? Yes, it's unmarriageable. Yes. So that's a really fun one to read. There are so many people. It's like exploding out of my head. There is somebody who is writing, he's a writer in Britain called Abir Mukherjee. Um, he's, he's a man and his series features men, but it's at the same time as my book. And it's sort of like Perveen's cousin. I, <laughs> I enjoy 
those books. <laughs> uh, we're all here for the recommendations. And I know Samaya will be all over them. So great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sujata, for coming and talking to us about your books. Um, we have both thoroughly enjoyed reading them, and I f- know that I feel like I have a vested interest in the future of Praveen, so I will be eagerly awaiting her, the next books that she's in. So thank you so much for talking to us. My pleasure. And just knowing that people are out there waiting for these books makes it a little easier to write them, honestly. You know, to feel like there's an audience of people that know Praveen and enjoy her. You know, it, it gets me it, it gets me opening my laptop every day. So thank you. Thank you for the wonderful conversation about books. And I really appreciate what you're doing to spread women's writing through the world. We'd like to thank Sujata Massey for talking to us about the newest book in the Praveen Mystery Series, The Satapur Moonstone, which is out now from Soho Crime. You can find Sujata on her website, sujatamassey.com, and on Instagram at sujatamasseyauthor, and on Facebook at sujatamasseyauthor. You can also find her on Goodreads, and of course, all of this information will be linked in our show notes. We'd also like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. You can find Reading Women at readingwomenpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.